0: Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, October eighteenth, two 2020 called Beacons of Hope, Caesar, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verse 21. Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. We've been in this whole series called Beacons of Hope, and we've been spending uh, the last several weeks here in Matthew. And this is that that Tuesday of Holy Week. It's the way Holy Week runs. You know, Jesus is welcomed triumphantly. Monday, he overturns the the, the money changers in the temple, their tables. So he gains some enemies and some more supporters through that. So this takes place on that Tuesday of Holy Week. And Wednesday is a real quiet day. Kind of, Jesus is like sees what's coming ahead and takes a rest. Kind of takes a rest. But Tuesday is a day that's filled with controversy and parables and stories because Jesus is constantly being bombarded. We suspect that it's this day. It could be Monday, but we suspect that this is the day that Judas uh, finally goes and and makes his deal with the, with the uh, Jewish leaders to betray Jesus, receives the payment. This is the day we think that happens. So this is a day fraught with controversy. I mean, and you could see Jesus maybe even, I don't know, losing his temper sounds like sinful. I think he's just being, he's calling a spade a shovel is kind of the deal and saying, he says, uh, what, do you get, what are you doing, you hypocrites? You know, I mean, he, he kind of, he's being pretty straightforward with them. And so this is a, kind of a culminating, we're, we're kind of getting towards the end of this But it reminds me, I told you some jokes about the IRS and about taxes. Do you think taxes are a joking matter or they're a lighthearted matter? They're not, are they? Here's, in fact, far too often they become deeply politicized. Let me share a couple of ones that I pulled out that I think show political challenges. So one difference between death and taxes is that death doesn't get worse every time Congress meets. That's funny, you guys. That's pretty good actually. Are you paying attention here? Come on, hang with me. People who complain about paying their income tax can be divided into two types, men and women. I'm proud to be paying taxes in the United States. The only thing is I could be just as proud for half the money. And then this one I like a lot. If Patrick Henry thought that taxation without representation was bad, he should see how bad it is with representation. Um, Taxes have become quite politicized, haven't they? It's a political football um, manipulated by either uh, political party for their own purposes to achieve certain ends. And it's interesting because it really shouldn't be. I mean, I get that it is, and I'm not naive, I get it. But really, isn't the whole purpose of tax? And actually, Scripture speaks to this. And Jesus is speaking to taxes, isn't he? Should we pay the tax? That's the question. So Jesus, should we pay the tax or not? And it's fraught with all kinds of political minefields in it, in Jesus' moment. I'll talk about that in a second so that you have the context. But it really isn't supposed to be a political minefield. The idea is we have government, and in fact even God establishes government. We have it It's in the first five books of Scripture. talks about how we do justice, how the nation can do those things. It's not necessarily something that we have to uh, observed by the letter of the law, but there's a framework in there. God gets it. We have government and kings and those who rule in order to care for the people. There are some things that need to be provided for the safety of the people. And so, to be honest, it really shouldn't be a political thing. Just like, in my opinion, the pandemic has all become this huge political football. It's it's all of a sudden. And it isn't it crazy? Remember nine eleven. At nine eleven, if you're old enough to remember that. Um, because some of you in here are not, but in 9-11, wasn't it interesting that in that moment, for whatever reason, however it happened, we chose to come together. And it didn't matter your background, your color of your skin, it didn't matter what how much money you made. You were praying for firefighters and first responders, and we were praying for justice, and we were praying to come together as a nation. It happened in World War II for this country. Um And so it wasn't a political event. It was not a political event. And isn't it sad that wouldn't it have been something special? It was a moment that somehow on either side of the aisle we missed. To to say there's a pandemic in which people are dying and people are anxious and people are struggling and economies are now struggling. We should come together on this. And we struggled to do that. We struggled to do it. I'm not making any political statement here. I'm making a comment that sometimes things which are meant to be universal become politicized. And that's why we make the statement, I hate politics. I hate politics is what people say over and over. I I get it in the church too. I especially hate church politics. And I get that if what you mean by that is this, that there are people who through less than truthful or deceptive means seek to manipulate for their own personal advantage. If that's what politics is defined as, I hate it too. But to be honest, even in the church, like when Jim, Pastor Von Bush, by the way, just to let you know, he's in the midst of preaching right now, or in his worship service there in Trinity. And it was funny, we are like so on the same wavelength, especially Teresa and and I. As I was dialing his number, she texted me this morning at about 7 o'clock. And I, and I quick I called and I said, oh, you guys are unbelievable. And they said, we were just driving by grace and saw your light on. And so we were praying for you. And I said, I'm praying for you also. But, you know, it's interesting. When Jim was called there, they don't sit around and hold hands and sing Kumbaya and wait for a person's name to appear in incense above them. They vote. They discuss it. They pray. They seek God's will. And they vote. When we chose to add a high school, we discussed it, and we prayed, and we voted, and so forth. When you called me, we voted. When we chose to loan money to the Baptist Church, we voted. You know that's politics, right? When you vote on things, it's actually politics. There's a position which we seek to explain, prayerfully consider, and then choose. When politics is that, it's one of the greatest gifts ever given to us. I believe. It's one of the great gifts that God entrusts to us. The opportunity to actually choose directions in ministry. Seeking to follow his will in his way. That's a great honor. That's a tremendous privilege. And we should take it seriously and honestly. And so what I think is happening here, because I really appreciate this text. Because when, when Jesus speaks pointedly. Because here's the context. They are trying to trip him up badly. Right, they've, they've been trying all along, and Jesus has dodged this and continues to keep his focus on his purpose, which is ultimately the cross and the restoration and redemption of God's people, their rescue from sin. And so he's not willing to get embroiled in this in the manner in which they want to entrap him. Because it says it, right? They were trying to trap him. So you know it's, it's deceptive, and it's ungodly, and it's just wrong and Jesus does more than simply dodge this cleverly. He's actually giving us something to hang on to. And that's what I want to share with you today because when I read this text I went, are you kidding me? How is this paying taxes? How is that about a be How is that a beacon of hope? It just seems nuts to me because they take the situation, here's Jesus teaching with his disciples and they come up to him and they flatter him, don't they? Isn't it just so lame? Oh, we just think you're awesome and you're just so truthful and you shoot straight and we know that you're just you're just so great. So could you answer us this really it's just a simple question? Who should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now here's the deal. If he says yes, you should pay taxes to Caesar. Then he loses all the support of the nationalists, all the Zionists, all the people who say that Romans should all be kicked out, and how dare we give tax money to our pagan overlords. But if he says no, then he's inciting revolt and disobedience, and the Romans and the Sadducees, the temple priests, will abandon Jesus. So they're trying to drive a wedge in here. And so Jesus' answer is powerful. Some people almost just toss it off as a clever response, a dodge. He dodges the bullet. He does far more than dodge the bullet here. He's teaching. He's teaching something significant. So I want to share with you why this is such a beacon of hope, because what Jesus is really speaking to is talking about um, authority and governing authorities in our lives, even human ones. So um, G.K. Chesterton, who was uh, C.S. Lewis, was a great admirer of Chesterton as an author and thinker, political thinker, a spiritual Christian thinker. And Chesterton once made this quote. He said, once you abolish God, government becomes your God. And it's an interesting, interesting quote because it almost seems like we have so much of our culture now kind of hoping that government will solve the problem. That we can, if we can just somehow elect the right person, or if we can elect the right Congresspeople, or get the right Supreme Court justices in place, if we can just get these things in place, then government will fix our solve our problems. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be engaged in government. Of course we should be. But it doesn't fix all our problems. It never has. It has never managed that. And I can promise you that it never will, in fact, solve those problems. I would add to Chesterton's quote and say this, what happens when the government... Is no longer. Now, where's your God? And so, this is a call back from Jesus to remind us of who really is the authority. How is this a beacon of hope? Let's take the first point, let's just go on to the first point. As I look at this, I started doing my research on it on the different passages and the context which would be brought into it. I'm gonna look at Psalm 47, and we're gonna look at Psalm two also. If you if you have a Bible or a phone with you and you wanna to go to Psalm two, I'm gonna do that in a few minutes and you could follow along. I'm gonna, in all seriousness, I, I wanna share something that Jim and I have not really shared. It wasn't too far into the pandemic, March and April in which more than once, both Jim and I had to deal with people in tremendous distress. And it was all driven by the pandemic. Now, some of you may not be able to relate to this, but some people with PTSD, some people who were feeling exceedingly isolated, who were struggling with clinical depression, when you added on the layer of the pandemic and the nature of the way it was being reported and information was being shared... There was more than one time for both of us where we literally had to talk people down from taking their own life, from abandoning their family, from simply checking out of life completely. Now, you may not be able to personally relate to you, to that. I am telling you that that is a real thing. I am also telling you that especially young people, millennials, uh, the number of suicide attempts tripled during this time of pandemic. That's for our youngest, that young group. We know that the incidences of depression and isolation, people's fear and anxiety. I don't know how many of you have ever been in a spot where it almost feels like the toilet bowl is swirling and you're about to get flushed down. And all you can see is things spinning. And it is so hard to have hope and to, and to, and to believe that there's a future which you can cling to and to which you can get. I'm thankful for the opportunities we were given to step into people's lives. And I'm thankful that those people are doing okay. But I am just telling you, more than once for both of us, did we have people in tremendous distress. I don't know if you can relate to that or you know of people, but I'll give you a simple one just for my own life that doesn't really even begin to compare to that. We were in seminary, and uh, we had tried to sell our house, and we couldn't sell our house in Seattle. Couldn't sell it, couldn't sell it. Finally, at the very end, somebody came and said, I'll buy it if you'll if you'll carry the contract. Talked to my tax guy. He said, oh, it's a great idea. Yeah, do that. He for- forgot to tell me that that's all taxable income. And so we carried the contract and got rent payments from this person, and I never paid tax on it. And so, lo and behold, I file my taxes. I get, I get, a, I get a, a nasty letter from the IRS that says you owe us boom, $2,008. Okay? $2,008. Back in those days, the IRS does not write pleasant greeting card letters to you. By the way, they are mean. <laughs> it's, it feels mean. And it's very scary. And your hair starts, kind of stands up. I'd never encountered this. Uh, I, I'm I just had never encountered this. I'm in seminary. We don't have two nickels to rub together hardly. We're barely making the bills. We were fortunate that we could. And here is this bill. And essentially it includes with it threats of jail. That's what it includes, this letter. If you don't fail if you fail to perform, here's what it is. Now that's that's almost thirty years ago now. And I laid awake at night. I mean, I don't think I slept for two weeks. Now, this is just a $2,000 bill. Now, when you have no money, $2,000 seems like a lot. When you have absolutely nothing, it's, and you have no idea where it's going to come from. Our cars weren't worth that. Even if we sold our car, we wouldn't have had that. And so I'm sitting there for two weeks not knowing what in the world to do. Now, here's the good news at the end of the story. But it felt like I was swirling down the toilet and I didn't know what to do. And so I and the cool thing at the end of that is we get this card in the mail about two weeks later, right around when I have to pay it. And it's from our church in Seattle. And they say we're thinking about you, and we took up a collection, because we think you could probably use this. It was two thousand and eight dollars. And so we paid our bill and we cried a lot and we were grateful. And when I when we built the high school, that was a year of I tell people that's the year I didn't sleep. Um, the second year of the high school was the year I didn't sleep because the, the first year was so hard that we couldn't get any kids to enroll for the second year. <laughs> and so it was, that was the year I didn't sleep. And there were times I'm laying in bed, my wife can tell you, and I started to get vertigo and I felt like the room was spinning and I had not been drinking heavily, I promise. Um, but it was just spinning, spinning, spinning. And you know it's funny when I, I with these people that we tried to help in the pandemic. You know what our first comment to people was? We said first thing we want you to do is not watch any more TV. And we want you to not hook onto websites on the internet. We'd like you to just go dark for about three weeks. And we're going to send you things, devotion. We want to, send, we want to pray with you. And we, And it's amazing when you turn off the TV and you simply go to God's word and allow God to speak, how much peace, a peace which passes understanding, he longs to give to us. I'm not kidding. It sounds simplistic. It sounds cliche I'm not kidding. Please turn off the TV and let's go to the word of the Lord. And so, I am, what, this is really the point number one. This is what the psalmist says. When things are spinning, can any of you relate to that? Been in moments? It might be a relationship. You might have gotten a diagnosis, a health diagnosis. It might have been something with a kid who just went absolutely off the rails. And you didn't know what to do. And it feels like it's spinning away from you. This is what the psalmist says. Go ahead and put it up there, uh, Mel. Take heart. God reigns over all. The psalmist in Psalm 47, for God is the king of all the earth. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. With one of these people who I visited with, I said, I want you to close your eyes. And I said, I'm going to pray for you. And I prayed. And then I said, now I want you to open your eyes. Is the world still spinning? And is the sun still shining? God is still ruling in his heaven. If you have Psalm 2 open, this is how I want you to hear that response. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. And then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. For the believer, God is longing for that to be a beacon of hope, that regardless of how the world spins, may seem to spin away from us, God reigns over all. So regardless of the frenetic and frantic and caustic conversations that will take place over the next two or three weeks, please know God rules over all. Second thing. So my dad was born in 1918. And uh, we used to have some great conversations. He wrote an autobiography, and I was his editor. So we worked on it for a couple of years. And then he did an addendum, and I helped him. So my dad's era spanned from horse and buggy. That's how he remembers the pastor coming to their house as a little boy. He came in his horse and buggy all the way to us writing and editing his book, his autobiography online, on, on Microsoft, on the computer, and then posting it online. That's his era, How the, the span that he had. And you know, my dad, I remember, and that's one of the things I loved about my dad, is he was a wonderful his, historian. And he was a student of history and loved it. And he would remind me, and he would just make commentary here and there. You know, people often think they're in charge, elections and those kinds of things. People come and go. Presidents come and go. Prime ministers come and go. But Jesus is the true king. The, 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 the psalm he would quote to me is, Men are like grass. All men are like grass. But the word of the Lord remains forever. I'll, I'll, I'll treasure that for my dad. Because he had a view of history that overcame the frantic, frantic moments that we seem to get immersed in and allow them to control and dictate our words and our actions. I love this from Daniel, the Daniel passage. Thanks, Elaine, for honoring the word so well. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Daniel's reminding Nebuchadnezzar, you're here because God put you here. And he he will remove you as well. Whether their name was Cyrus or Sennacherib, even whether it was David or Solomon, God establishes rulers. But second point is this, he establishes rulers and he removes them. You know, I hadn't thought of that before. I know that God allows for rulers and he helps establish rule. And throughout human history, he had used rulers like Cyrus to bring the exiles back. Not an Israeli king, but a foreign king, a pagan king that God had used. Even those you wouldn't expect, Pharaoh to save his people in a time of famine, you know, for Joseph, and all of those things. You don't expect it. God establishes kings. But I hadn't often said God also removes them. That's encouraging to me. Because this, this "this too shall pass is a cliche that we use. This too shall pass. The word of the Lord remains forever. And I've decided that one word of encouragement I'm hoping to give you because it's so easy because I fall into this trap also is not to simply say, God, why, why, oh God, why aren't you answering our prayer? Why don't you fix this? Why are our politicians kind of so mean and nasty and godless? And why do they play so fast and loose with the truth? Everybody on any side. How come they can't just shoot straight and care for the people? And why, God, why don't you fix it? Rather than saying, God, what are you teaching us in this? What are you teaching us? Because I think that really leads us to the third point. And the third point is so that we can bear witness to the world. When your leaders are all great, you don't have to bear witness. When things are imperfect, we need to bear witness. And that's the privilege we've been given as a church. I think it's critical for Christians to bear witness, both about our governing authorities, but about our ultimate authority. I'll give you an example. A number of times over the years... And I've been here now like almost 14 years, okay? So I'm in my uh, 13 years and some. And so in that span of time, it's encompassed several administrations in our government. And so I, it's interesting because as I hear kids in school, like I'd go in and I'd be doing chapel or I'd be teaching, uh, t- coming in at a class and they would talk and, it, and they would say, well, you know, Obama said this and Obama did this. And I go, wait, wait, wait. That's, it's President Obama. And then I, and just in the last few years, people go, Well, Trump did this and Trump said that. And I go, No, no, no. It's President Trump. There's a reason that we pray for our governing authorities. There's a reason. I'm not, who agrees with all, any of these guys all the time? I mean, for real. I mean, and if you're putting your hope there, stop. I mean, please stop. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be involved. But if that's where your hope is, you're deeply misguided. I mean, deeply. It's off the rails. So my point is this. I would say, you know, and I have had people in this church and previous churches say to me, because we regularly pray for our president, for our governor, and I have had people say to me, how can you pray for that man? Here, whether it was, I've had people say that, regardless of who the president is. Seriously. How can you pray for that man? And you know what my response is? How can I not? How can I not pray for those in authority over us, not only simply because God commands it? I mean, he says intercessions, prayers, and petitions be given for everyone who's in authority. But how can I not pray that people would align themselves with the will of God and to humbly submit to where God is going, whether they do so or not? I'm praying that for myself, and I don't do it all the time. And I pray that for all of you. And so how can I not pray for those who are in authority over me, but fundamentally for the trump card that says, because I long to freely continue to bear witness to the person and work of Jesus Christ in our life and in our world. And whether you want to talk about conspiracy theories or whether we can or can't do that, I am telling you there are people around the world who are dying because they cannot freely speak of Jesus Christ as we can. And we continue to do so week after week and month after month. Praise God that we have the privilege to freely speak of the greatest authority in our lives with the capital A authority who gives us grace, which is found nowhere else, and mercy and hope for eternity that we can find in no other place. How can we not pray? that we can continue to do that. Peter talks about it. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. But don't do, use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Right? Right? So it can silence, right, silence the ignorance of foolish people. They can see who Christ is. They can clearly see who Christ is reflected in our lives to others because we freely can share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so to me, if there's beacons of I think those are beacons of hope. God reigns over all. Close your eyes, open them up again. If the world's still splintered and the sun's still shining, thank God that he rules in his heaven And that the word of the Lord endures forever and that God both establishes and removes uh, leaders, earthly leaders, but that we also may freely bear witness to the world. But there's a final point that I thought of this morning that I want to share with you, too. Is that next slide up there? Would you put that up there? Okay. Thanks, Mel. I just thought of it this morning. I was telling Teresa yesterday, I said, I think there's good things in this sermon from Jesus' words, but I feel like I'm missing something. And this morning, I think this is it. So this is the coin that Jesus is talking about. I mean, not it, it's exactly from that era. So this coin, you can buy for $1,200. Um, you can get this. It's from, about, um, it's from about 30 AD. It's in that range. And you can see it's the image of Tiberius Caesar. Tiberius Caesar, and on the other side, it says Maxim Pontiff, that's high priest. Um, and on the, So on the side with the, with the bust of the head, it says Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. Now you can see why Jews would be deeply offended by this, right? Because Jews said, thou shalt not make unto thyself a graven image. That would be considered idolatry. You were not allowed to use that money in the temple either. You couldn't use it to pay your temple tax or buy sacrifices. You had to change it. That's how you get the money changers in the temple. You had to trade that money in to get good Jewish money that didn't have blasphemy on it. Because that's blasphemy. He's the divine emperor, right? Um, That he's a god is what it's saying. And he's the high priest. Well, Jews were highly offended by this. Cade, come here, will you? I asked him ahead of time. In the first service, I didn't ask Alex Alex, uh, Hayes first. I just had him come up. Thanks, buddy. So, you know what I think Jesus... I'm going I'm to play a little fast and loose with the text here. Because I don't think that Jesus could, politically speaking, not could, cho- he chose not to answer in this way. But any good Jew, listening to what he said is, because he said, show me a coin whose image is on it. Immediately when he says that word, you know what comes to mind? Genesis 1. Because all of humanity was made in the image of God. And so Jesus says, show me this coin, whose image is on it? Caesar's? Give him that stuff. This this medal that's stamped with his name, his arrogance, his narcissism, give him that stuff. But I think if Jesus could have had a sermon moment, like a sermon moment, I think he would have said, but whose image is on you? Like this young man right here, who in his baptism was claimed as a child of God and who God said from the moment he was conceived that this is one who is made in the image of God. Every human being bearing the very image of God. That's what I think Jesus was really teaching here. Whose image is on you? Because that's how precious you are to God. Let's pray. Thanks, brother. Father, we give you thanks that whether we're young or we're old, you've stamped us with your image. You've claimed us as your own and you give us hope. As everything might swirl around us, Lord, you don't swirl. And you remind us that you reign over all. You remind us that things pass and fade away and your promises and your presence and your grace never pass away. And so, Lord, for these gifts, And for these words, Lord, we pray for those in authority and we pray for the chance to continue to share your word. Because, Lord, if we can freely share your gospel now, that may not always last. And so there may come a time when we have to share the gospel at great cost, as our brothers and sisters before us did, even in that time of Peter and Paul. And so, Lord, we thank you and praise you for the opportunity to share the good news and that we may take hope and be encouraged in it. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you have any questions or comments about this sermon, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org and make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.